It's time for Decal Download, your source for news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We'll hear from Commissioner Amy M. Jacobs and special guests to give you an update on all things Decal. This is Decal Download. Downloading now. And welcome back to Decal Download. I'm Reg Griffin, Chief Communications Officer here at the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning, along with Commissioner Amy Jacobs, as always. Well, recently, our Georgia Head Start Collaboration Office joined the American Academy of Pediatrics and Child Care Advocates, Gears and Voices for Georgia's Children, to study the impact of COVID-19 on Head Start programs across the state and the children and families they serve. Commissioner, we learned that Head Start families who were already vulnerable have suffered from job losses, as well as food and even housing insecurity. We did. This project uh, gave us a lot of information that we had heard anecdotally of how children and families were being impacted by the pandemic. Um, But this collaborative project gave us even more information and will allow us to move forward and and continue to help these families. Some very important uh, feedback and research, and we wanted to talk about it today. So joining us uh, about this collaborative effort and what they learned is Dr. Terry McFadden, professor in the Department of Pediatrics of the Emory University School of Medicine, also immediate past president of the Georgia chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Fozia Khan Eskew is director of child health with the Georgia chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Brittany Newton is policy analyst with Voices for Georgia's Children. Callan Wells is health policy manager for GEARS. And Allison Setterlin is our own director of the Georgia Head Start collaboration office. Hope you got all those names. There will be a quiz at the end of today's podcast. Very impressive panel. Ladies, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you. So Fosia, let's start with you. Tell us about how the Georgia Early Childhood Health and Wellness Partnership all came together uh, this summer. First, um, of course, I want to Thank Commissioner Jacobs for the opportunity to collaborate with DECAL on this important work. The American Academy of Pediatrics National Center on Early Childhood Health and Wellness offers chapters like ours, the Georgia chapter, opportunities to collaborate with local partners on issues related to early childhood education. And uh, our previous work that we've done with DECAL and Head Start and the uh, trainers for uh, those in early childhood education include uh, medication administration training, safety and injury prevention training. But this project focused on the pandemic, of course, and really I think how it showed all of our vulnerabilities, both in pediatric primary care, as well as in early childhood education. And so uh, we were able to submit our proposal and we're funded to support the work of our collaboration with Gears, Voices, and with Georgia Head Start. Allison, can you tell us more about the goal of the partnership and why Head Start was an ideal target ECE stakeholder to benefit from the work? Well, as you know, um, Head Start is federally funded um, by the Administration for Children and Families um, to provide more than just, um, you know, child care. We provide comprehensive services and we target those families who are experiencing poverty. 
Um, and so one of these essential supports that the Head Start program provides is health services. And of course, during this um, pandemic and this public health emergency, Head Start programs needed a lot of resources and support in order to access um, the, the health um, and medical homes, um, immunizations, well care, all of the things that, um, that, that we may take for granted and were impacted by the pandemic. So we worked with a, the AAP and they've been great partners for years, um, always seeking to support the Head Start community and our partners at the AAP, I mean, at Gears and Voices. Um, and what we really wanted to do was make sure that we understood um, what some of those impacts are to families who are experiencing poverty, but more so in our rural communities. Um, we, we know that um, in Georgia, we have lots and lots of um, parts and areas and counties and communities that just don't have the same level of access to healthcare that um, more of our urban areas do. So we knew that this would be an opportunity to learn a little bit and while, you know, we did target Head Start, it's really not about just Head Start. It's about families. It was about um, how our, our vulnerable families who are already, um, you know, struggling with socioeconomic issues or health issues, how are they doing during the pandemic? And getting a glimpse into some of those communities may be great information for our child care advocates like Gears and Voices as they move through the, um, you know, the, the, the recovery from this. And especially for the AAP, um, information to help them identify pockets and spots across the state where uh, we know that there is limited access. And what are some of those barriers and challenges that families have um, in seeking and ma maintaining their uh, their well care visits, that making sure that children are up to date on all of those immunizations. Um, and so this was just a great opportunity for all of us to put our heads together. And it's one of those projects that starts out with a single idea um, and comes out with a lot of ways we can use the information to strengthen our partnerships um, at DECAL and beyond, but also have more meaningful, um, informed advocacy happening across the state. Um, and when you hear directly from families and staff who work in these rural communities, it really, I think, was a powerful um, uh, experience for our advocates. And I'm excited for Callan and Brittany and Dr. McFadden to share some of their insights today and what they learned. And I do feel like we've built some powerful friends for Head Start, but I know we've also um, done a lot to inform everyone that families need a lot of support right now. Brittany Newton is a policy analyst with uh, Voices for Georgia's Children. Brittany, can you tell us how the information was gathered uh, for this project? Yeah, so what we did was we conducted six focus groups. Uh, three of those focus groups were, were with Head Start programs, health and family services managers, and three focus groups were with parents from those programs um, selected by the program leaders. These, pro these participants represented 26 counties across six geographically diverse regions. Um, so that means we had programs that represented Metro Atlanta, as well as like sub suburban communities, rural programs, you name it, everyone was pretty much represented. Um, the focus group discussions covered the impact of COVID-19, relationships with pediatricians, 
barriers to accessing healthcare, family stressors, and the needs of health Head Start programs as well as families. And Callan, share a few aha takeaways from the information that was gleaned from the research. So several themes emerged from the focus group discussions. First, it was evident from our discussions that families are struggling to afford food due to loss of income and increased food prices caused by the pandemic. One manager said he was shocked at how many people are food challenged. Head Start programs really stepped up to help families meet this need for it. So for example, one of the programs interviewed co-sponsored box lunches with the Farm to Early Care and Education Coalition. It also became clear that job loss and housing insecurity are looming issues. Many parents and Head Start managers reported that job loss is a major concern in their community. Several parents had been laid off due to the pandemic and expressed increased levels of stress and anxiety. They shared that even given employment opportunities, it would be difficult to take them because they need to take into consideration childcare and their children's virtual learning schedules. On top of the added stress of losing employment, parents also shared that unemployment benefits are not sufficiently meeting their needs, which brings us to the next issue, housing insecurity. The eviction moratorium is currently protecting some families, but more families are reporting housing insecurity as a result of the pandemic. According to the U.S. Census Household Pulse Survey, more than one in five Georgia homeowners and renters with children in the household missed last month's mortgage payment. One focus group participant indicated she had already given already been given notice of eviction due to loss of employment and an interruption in unemployment benefits. There were bright spots, however. Throughout the family focus groups, parents continually referenced their Head Start programs as a resource to them. One parent noted that her program helped pay for a car repair that was preventing her from working. Another brought up the lunches and breakfasts provided as a godsend. Another parent noted her child's Head Start program helped her with transportation to and from the doctor. Programs also continued to provide social emotional support to families and young children throughout the pandemic. We also found that families experienced significant barriers to accessing healthcare in their communities. We found that collaboration between Head Start programs and local pediatricians might help to alleviate some of these barriers. So Brittany and Callan, what are some of the barriers you identified with feedback from families that may impact their ability to access healthcare uh, in their communities? Yeah, so some of the barriers families face were specific to their geography. One parent living in a rural area told us there is no pediatrician practicing in her county and the local hospital was closing um, as a result of the pandemic. Callan, you know, yeah. we, we heard from a lot of programs that transportation in general, um, you know, not having access to a reliable vehicle ends up being uh, a burden that the grantee, the Head Start program picks up. And they do have special funding. Not everyone can provide transportation, but they can. Um, they have been trying, they, they've been known to have to drive families several counties over to get those um, medical follow-up appointments. That's one thing people don't realize about the Head Start program is that we have something called the dollar of last resort. And if a family cannot get to the dentist for that cavity filling or cannot get their child to their 
you know, pulmonologist for their asthma follow-up, um, then the Head Start program does have to, um, in many cases, drive them there themselves. And so that's just an aside about the importance of transportation. We, we say it a lot, but we don't um, often connect it to these other services. So transportation to work and to school and those things are important. But remember, transportation impacts this health component as well, because if mm-hmm. you have to choose a 45 minute car ride uh, or getting to work on time, you're probably going to skip that doctor's appointment so that you're not late for work. Yeah. And some of the families indicated that the closest pediatrician or specialist was 45 minutes to an hour away. So having that support with transportation is, is a significant help um, and helps to alleviate those barriers. Yeah, and imagine a family that has specialists. I mean, we're lucky in Metro Atlanta to have access to all kinds of specialized medical fields, but um, it doesn't mean that children in rural or families in rural communities don't have specialized medical issues. They just don't have access to um, those um, pediatric specialists that do that, um, those services. And that's an issue that the uh, chapter also uh, advocates around uh, with uh, the Department of Community Health with regards to uh, non-emergency transportation for children who are enrolled in Medicaid. Uh, Sometimes, though, even though that benefit is available, there's some challenges for families, especially if they have younger children who they don't have childcare for, who uh, they need to take with them for the child who actually has the visit. The other issue is just really, as um, Callan and Allison have pointed out, is identifying a medical home that can provide developmentally appropriate pediatric primary care. And with telehealth, we feel like there might be some opportunities to expand on that, but then again, we face broadband. And so there are a lot of different pieces that I think we can all advocate for and around uh, to to increase to improve the access that children have in all parts of Georgia to pediatric primary care. Another major challenge um, for families was insurance. Um, A lot the red tape around insurance. Families primarily struggle with renewals, like many families, as well as the Head Start managers shared that renewals almost never go smoothly. Um, Either they don't receive the renewal notice or they submit documentation, but then something happens and they end up having to resubmit the same documents. I mean, one parent even shared that she lost coverage immediately after having a baby and had to wait almost six months to get her tooth pulled. And then another parent talked about how she completed the renewal process, but didn't find out that there was an issue until she was at the pediatrician's office she was informed that, you know, her child was no longer covered. Um, So it's challenges like these that result in families either delaying or foregoing needed care and services. Um, Another issue that came up with with the Head Start managers is that um, they found that a lot of children weren't receiving the needed screenings. Um, And so depending on where they went, they were having issues with getting the hearing and vision screenings for children under three. And so it seems to be there may be like a bit of a discrepancy um, between what's required from, by Head Start programs and practice guidelines. Uh, but the unfortunate thing is that the onus to navigate this challenge is really falling on the parents and trying to satisfy the Head Start requirements. And that highlights, I believe, the importance of the child's medical home, because oftentimes the pediatrician 
is the individual who helps the family navigate the healthcare system, right? So uh, fortunately though, with regards to coverage, uh, our understanding is that the Department of Community Health has allowed for uh, no child to be disenrolled during the pandemic or during the public health emergency. And the aspect around uh, accessing screenings with regards to Head Start programmatic guidelines and the recommendations of the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics and Bright Futures, uh, it was really a great opportunity to talk more about that with the Head Start program staff and their health managers. There are uh, specific things that happen in the Bright Futures periodicity schedule, as we say, and those components are followed to the letter, so to speak, within Georgia's Early Periodic Screening Diagnosis and Treatment Program, EPSDT. And, uh, you know, being sure that everyone knows how all those moving pieces work uh, is, is not uh, easiest for even the most astute navigator. Uh, but working together, I think we can help uh, to understand what's uh, required when and, and how best to provide that. Well, Dr. McFadden, we definitely want to hear from you and your insights. Um, what are some of your takeaways as a leader in our state for the medical community serving young children? And how can the medical community rally around early childhood education providers like Child Care and Head Start to better serve families in rural communities? Thank you so much, Commissioner Jacobs. It's really in the all of you, this is a wonderful panel and uh, really excited to be a part of it. Um, I think there's some major themes I won't, um, you know, talk about. I endorse all of the things that you guys have been talking about because we certainly see them in practice. Um, but there's some major themes here that um, we saw even before the pandemic. I think, you know, uh, at the chapter and pediatricians, we've been focused on health disparities. Um, for, you know, and health equity really for many years and really excited about the partnership that we've been able to create with you all around early learning because this interface between health and education is really critical and it's really important that we always um, re recognize that we're talking about the same children and families. Uh, and so partnership, I think, is really one of the key things that we have seen come out of this work. Um, it's so important for us to understand who our partners are. It's so important for us to have that bi-directional communication around uh, these issues when they come up with children and families. Um, you know, we're screening for social determinants of health. Early learning is screen and Head Start are screening for the same things. Sometimes if we could marry those, that information and resources, that would be critical because uh, as, I, as I mentioned in an earlier discussion, you know, Georgia, 63 of Georgia's 159 counties do not have a pediatrician, but I bet all of those counties have some form of uh, early learning. And so, you know, um, the early learning community becomes our, at, at, from a physician standpoint, our, our hands and ears and eyes in the community. Uh, and so we can accomplish so much if we're able to, to really share that information. I think when we had our first discussion, Fosia, um, found a quote from Albert Einstein that goes, in the midst of every crisis lies a great opportunity. And I think while these issues are not new, um, we have this opportunity, I think, to really shine a bright light on them, especially around collaboration. 
Um, the, the last point I'll make is that I think never um, before have frontline workers like pediatricians, physicians all over the state appreciated how important it is to have uh, an early learning community because I will say kudos to you guys because when everything else shut down, you didn't, right? And many frontline workers, many nurses and doctors and therapists would not have been able to do the work that they've done throughout this pandemic were it not for those early learning uh, groups that were open and, you know, willing to do whatever it took to make sure that those children and families had the resources they needed. So kudos to you. You're our heroes. Great observation and uh, definitely well-received by the child care community that uh, uh, have really been the unsung heroes in a lot of ways through uh, COVID-19. So much great information from this. We could probably talk about it all day, but what I'd like to do is ask uh, each member of the panel, what would you like to see as far as next steps uh, from the work uh, that has, uh, you know, been taking place and and the information that we've gained, Dr. McFadden, let's start uh, with you. Sure, I would love to have us um, really focus on this role of the pediatrician as a consultant. Um, you know, reaching out into the community, partnering with early learning and Head Start, and and being available. And I think we've seen some of that movement um, by necessity um, over the last nine months but would really like to see us codify that work so that, you know, that, that sort of bi-directional um, information sharing um, happens. I will say that, you know, when a child comes in and a parent has gotten an observation from early learning, um, you know, that early learning professional has had eight, maybe 10 hours a day with that child. As a pediatrician, I've had 15 or 20 minutes with that child. And so having the, uh, that information would be critical to making a really comprehensive plan for that patient. So I'm hoping that those lines of communication will, will strengthen uh, even more than they already um, exist mm-hmm. as we go forward. Great point. Fosia, how about you? Well, absolutely. I echo uh, what uh, Dr. McFadden has laid out. Uh, and I and some of the members of the group um, sort of have heard me kind of talk about this one point of vulnerability. So, you know, our, our families in Georgia have never been more vulnerable, right, than during this pandemic. And uh, those who care for those children and families are often equally as vulnerable. Uh, our child care, our, our uh, pediatric practices, you know, schools, et cetera, uh, and making sure that, as Dr. McFadden said, that we keep this bi-directional communication going, we can see how we can leverage our resources together to support those children and families. And that's really what I, I hope to see us do. More, more collaborations, um, you know, what resources uh, does each bring and, and what do we each do best so that we can all uh, do our primary work with children and families to help them globally. And, you know, again, never before has uh, childcare been as essential for uh, recovery of a community, right? Um, we, we knew that before the pandemic, um, but collaborations with DECAL has uh, allowed us to, uh, to see more of that work. And in that way, uh, making sure that we understand that families need ch- 
childcare so that they can go to work and children need to be well so they can attend childcare so that communities can recover is, is important. And closing out the comment though, I will also say kudos to uh, Georgia Head Start for its work with the CDC in showing that with preventative measures, we can stop the spread and provide childcare during the pandemic. And um, I, I think that was a great, uh, a very strong effort by Georgia in that way. Let's take the same question and uh, turn to our child care advocates. Brittany with Voices for Georgia's Children. Next steps uh, from your perspective. Um, I can only echo what's already been said. I think increased collaboration is the, the key actionable step here. Um, I, I really just throughout this process, I learned that there are so many opportunities within Head Start for pre- pediatricians co- to connect with them. Um, and as Dr. McFadden said, really serve as a consultant. And just in this work already, I see that several pediatricians are excited about that opportunity. Um, so I definitely think that that's the immediate next step. And then secondly, maybe incorporating um, some questions about food security into primary care would also be something that I would like to see. All right. Very good. Callan, uh, from the GEARS perspective. Yeah. And I can't believe I'm the one saying protective factors and not phosia, but um, I would love, uh, I think, you know, what we really echoing what Dr. McFadden and Fosia and Brittany have already said, breaking down the silos between Healthcare and education are really important, but also strengthening what we know are protective factors for these families. So Head Start showed to be a protective factor. Um, Programs that increase access to affordable food, um, programs that keep families in their homes, um, programs that increase access to healthcare um, are all really critical to um, ensuring that these families um, are able to thrive. And so, um, I, I think we really need to see these programs strengthened. Allison, we'll let you back clean up on this. I know you probably have some thoughts on next steps. Um, well, I was just thinking of some a statement that I always hold deep down in my heart, which is, um, you know, all good data collection starts with a good question. And one answer that we got from this project was, there are 63 counties that do not have a pediatrician. So how do we back into other good questions now that we know that? Um, So it kind of affirmed, yeah, there's some access issues here, but how do we, how do we then connect them to public health in more meaningful ways? How do we um, help families understand the value of that long car drive? If their child does have, um, you know, chronic medical conditions, So there's just so many other ways we can go now. And so for me, the next step is not is being very sticky and holding on to these great ladies and this great work, um, holding their interest in because I do believe that when you help Head Start, you are helping a whole community um, because we're just a representative sample of of all families in poverty, all families, socioeconomic or trauma or stress. Um, impacted. So if we can come up with some solutions for Head Start, I know that they can be replicated into the broader population and help other families who may not be in our program. So I'm always thinking of not just helping ourselves, but helping everyone. Um, So my next step is to 
really, really work out what are some other data collection means we may want, what are some other good questions we want to ask, what are some other ways we can explore, and then what are some of those solutions with these great people we have on board now. Well, Allison, last question um, goes to you. Uh, what is the best way for families to connect with Head Start in their area? Well, um, you can use what, how all families can connect with Child Care in Georgia, which is the 877-ALL-GA-KIDS resource, qualityrated.org. Um, but you can, you can always call the call center there and say, I'm specifically seeking a Head Start and give them your zip code. Um, there's also on the Georgia Head Start Association website, you can put in your zip code and find your local center. It's not like the public school system where you would go and apply at a centralized place. You actually need to know where your local center is and apply at that local center. We have 33 grantees that are operating over 300 centers in Georgia. Um, and I think we only have about three counties that don't have um, a center. So depending on the age of your child, depending on where you live and how long your access to transportation or your need for transportation, you can talk through all of those um, those needs with the um, our Georgia um, all Georgia GA kids team that can help you find the best resource in your community. And if you can't get into a Head Start slot, they can always help you understand how to apply for CAPS if you're eligible for subsidized childcare, um, and make sure that you're in a high quality childcare center in Georgia. Quality rated is the way to go. Great information today. The Georgia Early Childhood Education Health and Wellness Collaboration Project. And uh, you can tell uh, some great folks uh, involved, but uh, only the first step in uh, the process. And ladies, we hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks for joining us. Now your questions from the water cooler. Hi, I'm Melinda Knowles, and I work in the Quality Innovations and Partnerships Division here in Waycross. My question for Commissioner Jacobs is, what is your New Year's resolution? Uh, well, thank you, Melinda, and um, Happy New Year to you and your family. So I uh, do not have a New Year's resolution, uh, only because I have failed so many times, it started making me feel bad. <laughs> so I don't usually adopt New Year's resolutions, but um, I will say that I have developed some good um, health habits, especially um, daily exercise during the pandemic. And so um, that's one thing that I definitely want to continue um, in the new year. You don't want to gain the COVID-19. Well, I gained that a while back. <laughs> so <laughs> trying to stay healthy at this point. But Great we'll enjoy idea. some, uh, you know, some Christmas holiday cheer and treats for sure. And then back at it in and January. And then back at it at 5 a.m. every morning. All right. I love it. <laughs> Let's give you a chance at winning a nice prize in the decal download quiz. We'll draw one name from all the correct answers received. Email your response to decaldownload at decal.ga.gov. Here's the question. Name one of the partners in the recent Georgia Early Childhood Education Health and Wellness Collaboration Project. Name one of the partners in the recent Georgia Early Childhood Education Health and Wellness Collaboration Project. We know we'll get many correct answers. We'll put all those together, draw it one name. You'll win a nice prize. Thanks for playing and good luck. 
Thanks for tuning in to Decal Download. For more information, visit our website at decal.ga.gov. The conversation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs.